Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Lindbergh. Matt Lindbergh is a golf instructor in the Milwaukee area. He primarily teaches at the practice station in New Berlin and the Broadlands in Waukesha. He combines his use of video and trackman technology while on the range to help players improve their swing. But he's also a firm believer of on-course instruction and teaching players how to actually play the game. Matt, welcome to the show and thanks for your time to come on today. Of course, thanks for having me. I, uh, I always like to start pretty much every episode just with uh, asking a little bit more about your background and um, how you got into golf and, and how you ended up uh, teaching in Milwaukee now. Yeah, so my journey in golf is probably fairly similar to most. Um, when I was starting in golf, I was an aspiring player. Um, I did play in college and enrolled in the PGM program at Ferris State. I kind of knew golf was my road uh, that I wanted to go down, uh, and it definitely was my passion. And when I got when I graduated, I wanted to be kind of a head pro, or at least that was my goal and my design. So I went to Oakland Hills Country Club in Detroit as an assistant pro. You know, learned the ropes from really good teaching pro, um, really good head professional. Got the head professional job um, at a course in northern Wisconsin, Shawamigan Bay Golf Club. And, you know, from there kind of realized my, my passion was teaching and coaching the game of golf. Um, and so, you know, it was as good a time as ever to make a change and uh, kind of started my own business, Matt Limburg Golf. And uh, here we are. That's great. Yeah, the the uh, the old saying that you know those those who cannot do teach, uh, I feel like that uh, that always applies in uh, uh, yeah. in the golf world. You know, the the highest levels now are just so competitive. I mean, those guys. I mean, I played. We're I'm lucky to play with a few really good golfers that played. Uh, one guy had ten years on the Canadian Tour circuit, and and another guy you know bounced around the mini tours, and you know they're still plus fours and. Yeah. They still couldn't quite <laughs> like they had great careers, but it's just, I'm like, I have a hard time playing with them and realize that there's people that are still way better than them. It's, it's very true. Uh, it's, it's incredibly true. And, and that's okay. I learned that fast and I'm, and I'm thankful for it. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Yeah, exactly. And I, uh, I love playing with them because I just realized that, you know, it's, it's made me just enjoy the game and, and stop trying to be, you know, like I, I can never, I could practice however long and I could never be as good as you. So I'm just going to like go and, and have fun playing. So, um, all right. We have a lot that I want to talk about today from your philosophy on instruction, technology. Um, and then I really want to dive into uh, club head speed and distance um, and how to add, add yards um, at the end. We could, We'll have to do this again because we could go on for for hours with with questions I want to ask you. Um, but let's start with your intake process because uh, I know you kind of have a little bit of an assessment that you do with people. So when you first meet a player, how how do you determine what they need to work on and where you start? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So we'll back it up almost before the assessment starts. And what I really like to do with someone is uh, – kind of a little interview it's nothing major um it's nothing i would do with like an elite or high level athlete but i want to know where they're at with golf first and foremost um and get their story because everybody's got a different background kind of learn about where they're at with the game um from there we create a goal um and that could be before the game assessment it could be after the game assessment, but I really want to get a goal created and not just a, um, 
I'm sure you've heard this one a lot, but not just a basic goal of, I want to be more consistent. I want something that's measurable. Um, because in, in the teaching and coaching business, we're results oriented and I want to be able to measure something and get someone to a result. So if someone does say they want to be more consistent, I'll kind of go through the five whys. Um, okay. Why do you want to be more consistent? Well, so I can hit more fairways. Okay. Well, why do you want to hit more fairways? Well, so I can hit more greens. Okay. Why do you want to hit more greens? Oh, so I can score better. Okay. Um, it doesn't have to be score as a goal, but I want to, you know, get to a spot where we get that true goal out of them. And that can be hard sometimes. Um, but also, as you pointed out, a game assessment is crucial in my opinion. And I would love to do every single one on a golf course. It doesn't always work out that way, but the reason why we like to get on a golf course to do a game assessment is because it's the actual field of play. So we're going to go on the golf course. We're going to see things like um, tension potentially creep in that we might not see on the range. Um, we're going to see things like decision-making come out on a golf course that might not otherwise come in. Um, I use a basic scorecard that highlights a few key areas um, kind of getting into what I would call, um, you know, scoring range or, um, you know, basically a hundred yards and in, you know, how, how good are you at getting there first um, from there? How good are you getting it in the hole? Um, then we can start to develop a game plan and really actually see where someone's at um, versus for years. I, I hate to say it, but I would teach people and never see them play. And I was doing it totally wrong. Um, so thankfully I learned from my mistakes and learned quickly, I feel, and now I've got more of a process um, to really intake a player and get them what they need instead of just kind of giving them what they want. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. It's funny. I think, I think maybe it was uh, McElroy this year had a quote before one of the, one of the tournaments he's playing like a smaller tournament to get ready for a major. And he said, um, you know, he'd been practicing for so long and he's like, I, I just needed to go play because we actually play golf. We don't play golf swing, you know? And, and I was like, that's a, that's like a very uh, interesting thing to hear from one of the, the best in the world that even those guys can spend so much time working on their swings, but that's fantastic on the range, but can you actually go and hit targets on the golf course and scramble and score and get the ball in the hole? I love that quote. I didn't hear that one, um, but that's a great one. Yeah. I, uh, I, I liked it. What are some, I, I like the idea, you know, I've like PTSD from uh, PT school with all our, uh, all our classes working on smart goals, but I can, I can get behind smart goals when it comes to golf. Um, what, what are like some common goals that you might have with, with players? Like what's one of the, the things that you work on the most? Yeah. So it, it's obviously player dependent, but we're going to try to get them. I like to set a score goal. So because it's something we can measure. So that would be one goal. Um, you know, Hey, I've never broken 90 before. Okay. That's a great one. Um, let's get you to that goal first. So you can see that progress. Um, you know, as the players get better, the goals get a little bit more, uh, in depth. Uh, it could be, you know, something like GIRs. It could be something like, um, you know, for a higher handicap, it could be playing three rounds without losing a golf ball um, and really kind of teaching them what it's like to make sure that they get the ball in play. Um, goals will vary, but I do like to get it to a score goal typically um, because that's as far as fun and enjoyment. And I like those as a goal. I really do um, because I think that's what the vast majority of people are going out to do. Um, but I've never not had fun when I score really well. So I think they kind of correlate with each other. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. That's uh, that's fantastic. Um, I know something else from talking to you in the past that kind of fits in well with this is that you really like player to help players learn how to practice. Um, so what are some common errors that you see in players practice habits? Yeah, this is a good, this is a good one for me. Um, and when I talk about a lot, so I think really at a high level, the, one of the biggest mistakes is not having a game plan. Um, you know, 
I had a student when I was um, coaching a college team and he said, Hey Matt, I hit balls for three hours today. And I kind of said, is that, is that impressive? Is that, are you trying to impress me? But it's just not to me that I would way rather you have a game plan and be efficient um, because you got to go do it again tomorrow. And that three hour practice session, believe it or not, takes a lot out of you and puts a lot of abuse on your body. So I'm a big believer in um, purposeful practice. Um, You know, we have something called a purposeful practice card or routine and we'll set again, some target goals. So, you know, maybe I'm working on short putts, Um, you know, for an amateur, that could be a three foot putt Um, for somebody that's a much better player. It might be a six foot putt, but we're going to give you a target score out of 10 um, to do. And that might take you an hour to go eight or 10. It might take you 15 minutes, but the point being is we're going to also focus on where you need to practice. And that's based on your last round or how you played. So the scorecard and our practice card really correlate with one another. So having a game plan, kind of know what you're going to do before you get to the practice, um, before you get to the range or wherever you're practicing and then kind of executing that. And once you're done, go home um, and be done with it. Cause I feel like then you feel like you've accomplished something. Um, The other one would be, uh, you know, working on kind of getting into, I, I call like a zone. So I might, I'll take driver and I don't have anything against driver, but, um, if I hit driver over and over and over, it's hard to translate to the golf course. And I don't want to get into the in-depth details of, um, you know, block practice versus random practice, but that could be another conversation. However, some good random practice will translate to the golf course better than block practice. And there's a time for each, depending on if you're working on technique or you're working on kind of taking it to the golf course, but there's, I think people need to do both. And by random practice, I just mean some games, um, go kind of play a hole in your head. Um, you know, go play some different games, vary your shots, try to hit different yardages. Um, those are some things that I would love to see people do more of. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. I, I see the three hour practice sessions and I just, I just want to walk up and down the range and give those people my business cards. Cause like, you know, if you keep that up over time, I, I know eventually your back's going to hurt or your elbow's going to hurt or whatever the case may be. And, uh, uh, we, we talk about it with players a lot and actually it'll, it'll we'll probably revisit this topic again when we get to club head speed. But like I talk about with players coming back of, especially from guys that are kind of dealing with overuse injuries. Like when you go, like, if you think about it, if you're a, uh, let's say you shoot 90. Well, out of that, realistically, you probably have at least 30 putts, you know, if you're a, if you're a 90 handicapper on a good day, maybe even more than that. So, you know, the club's leaving your shoulder 60 times. Okay. Maybe you have a practice swing here or there, but you know, you're going to go pound 300 golf balls when, and you actually play golf, you hit 60. And, um, some of those are chips. So, you know, now we're really getting down to the number of full swings are not that many. We try to talk to players about like, if you're going to go the range for an hour, hour and a half, whatever, like go through your whole pre-shot routine, like step back, line up. If you want to spend three hours there, that's fine. But just like be deliberate. Don't just grab ball, take swing, grab ball, take swing. Like reset, regrip, try to do something, just slow yourself down and you'll get more out of it. I love that one a lot. I forget. I didn't say this. Um, I heard it somewhere. I can't remember where, but um, I think it was Michael Breed. Um, And he said, um, you know, don't hit five or don't hit 20 putts in five minutes. Um, Take 20 minutes to hit five putts. And basically that, you know, kind of, you know, making it clever of what you just said, take your time, um, go through your routine because the reality is, is I can, I can train easy and by training easy, it's going to a range with no plan and I'm just going to hit shots. 
I'm just going to hit shots and I'm going to get in a groove and everything's good and I might leave happy and that's okay. But that's easy when, if you have a target score, you need to get to, it's a little harder. Now you've got some pressure on you, especially when it comes down to that last one and those putts. And if you've been there for an hour, you want to make that putt so you can go home. (laughs) Um, But on a course, you have a score and all of a sudden now that free swing you had at the range might not be there when you go to the golf course. And that is just a real thing. I think sometimes as golf pros, we miss when we get into drawing lines and, and there's, there's a, there's a time and place. I, I draw lines. I do video. Um, I look at track, man. I love track, man. Um, but you can overdo it too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a, uh, a favorite, like easy, uh, driving range game that you have a lot of players, uh, players play that, that kind of helps with that? Absolutely. So, um, you know, one, if we're going driving range, um, just a really simple, uh, game would be um create a fairway so give yourself some type of fairway um you know at the practice station there's two trees out in the distance they're about 30 yards apart it's beautiful um and take 10 balls and the kids are great with this the adults struggle um take 10 balls out of the range bucket and and give yourself a target score or a benchmark um And if it's the first time you're doing this, set your benchmark on what you do with those first 10 balls. And that's your, that's your standard. And now you're going to try to beat that as you go over time. Um, But set some parameters. So, okay, 30 yards wide. And for, you know, a younger guy who hits it decent, okay, it's got to travel over 200 yards. So now you're replicating golf. Um, That to me is such a simple game, but now you've got a, a target and a goal. Yeah. I, I like that. That's one that I've, I played myself with like one or like a little tweak, but I'll set a kind of set a fairway or target and then I'll hit, I'll go all the way through my bag and hit two nine irons. As long as they both land in that target, I'll hit two drivers. They both land in the target and I'll go hit two eight irons, two drivers. And I'll go back and forth. If I miss one, I don't like go all the way back to nine iron. I go back to the iron and, and do that. And I'll do those on like days before I play a match or something. I just have felt like it really adds like a little bit of pressure. You know, the second, second swing, you're like, okay, I don't want to hit the same, the same combination another time. Uh, I just have felt like it's been like a good, good driving range, not warm up, but day before uh, a drill for me. I love that. It's a really good one. Okay. On the, on course lessons versus, uh, practice lessons on the range. Um, obviously there's a time and a place for both. How do you decide where to spend time with a player and kind of what changes about what you focus on in each setting? Yeah, it's a really good question. So on course, I like on course a lot, um, because it's the field of play. Um, and that's where you're going to, that's where everything is going to come together or it's not. Um, but on course things that I'm focused on are, um, tension, uh, course management, decision-making. I want to see how you play and really kind of see, you know, where the wheels fall off and we can focus on that area. I like the course cause we can create a lot of different games out there. So, um, you know, we'll play, for example, for some people who may be aggressive with their decision-making, um, I'll go a hole ahead of them and I'll pull the flag stick out and make them play no flag sticks. So they are, okay, where's the flag stick? They get it after a while, but it makes them hit to the middle of the green. And all of a sudden they're actually hitting a green um, versus missing it short side. And highlighting, really highlighting some of those differences. I think there's a lot of kind of like aha moments out there for people. Okay, I've been doing this wrong. The range is a great place for technique. So there is definitely benefit to technique. And when someone really needs a change, you know, if I'm going out and just say topping the golf ball over and over and over, that's when we are going to bring it to the range because we need some of that block practice. We need some drills. We need to get the body 
being able to do something different because right now it's doing um, it's repetitive, but it's, it's wrong. It's, you know, it's repeating basically the wrong thing over and over. So that's when we have to take a step back and really dive into, okay, why are you doing this? How can we fix it? Do some block things. But even with that person, we're going to kind of continually try to bring it back to the golf course too. So. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, just talking about decision-making on the course, do you have, um, do you have like rules for players, especially as it gets better players? Like when do you, when do you shoot at a flag? When do you put it in the middle of the green? When do you go for it on the par five? When do you lay up things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's going to get just a bit more player specific and dependent. Um, the better the player, put it this way, the better the player, the more risk they can take on where I feel like um, that is flip-flopped when you actually watch people play. Oh, I can hit that shot. I can cut it right through those two trees. Um, Well, can you do that nine out of 10 times? No, you might be able to do it twice. Okay. Let's go the opposite way. So we don't make a 10, Uh, you know, I want to teach people to make a bogey. Um, And if you're making no worse than bogey, all of a sudden breaking 90 becomes pretty easy. And I found a lot of people can do that. Now, the better the player, now we're going to start to take on some, um, you know, some risks, some challenges. And, and there's no doubt as people get better, you know, distance is a big topic right now. I know we're going to talk about it. Um, Strokes gained is a really cool um, and real thing there is benefit to distance. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, but we still need to get it into a spot where we can at least hit it at the flag on the second time around. So it's a, it's a fine line, but no, to your, to answer your question, um, I really, you know, we got to start in first gear and then we're going to, you know, we're going to go up to fourth gear, um, with, with players. I think that, that makes a ton of sense and something that again is one of the one of the plus fours that I played with this year that played I think ten years on the Canadian tour. He's we're talking about it and he said like as he went, he ended up he created a some par five rules for himself about when would he go for it versus when would he lay up and uh just talked about how that decision like made like for him he he would never go for it if he had a if he had a three wood in his hand. Had to be hybrid or less or else he wasn't he wasn't going to hit it. And, uh, I was like thinking about my own game and I'm like, you know, I, <laughs> if I followed that rule, I would actually probably improve my par five scoring too, uh, versus always trying to, to be the hero. So, um, I think, I think course management is such an interesting thing. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So let's talk some details and technology. So you, uh, teach a lot at the practice station, um, in New Berlin and you guys have in the winter, you have, I think now three indoor trackman setups. And then in the summertime and springtime, you have uh, an actual like outdoor trackman range. So um, can you talk a little bit about that technology and what it allows you to see and, and how that's allowed you to help players? Yeah, absolutely. So trackman's great. It is for anyone that's not been on a track man, the best way I can describe it is it's probably, it's an MRI essentially for your golf swing. Um, it's going to spit out a bunch of data. Um, and it's going to tell us essentially everything that your ball is doing and also everything that your club is doing. So it's going to tell us exactly how that, um, you know, club is swinging through the golf ball. It's going to tell us, where it's hitting on the face, where, how your face is pointed at impact. Um, and then in turn, what the ball is doing off of that. So that is kind of the, um, the, what, what's going on. Um, that's going to tell us for sure. The harder part is then, okay, how do I fix it? Um, and that's, that's where, that's where somebody like myself would come in and, and, and help. Okay. We need to figure out how we fix that. But Trackman, yeah, in a nutshell, it's a device that's going to tell us what club and ball are doing. Um, it's great for so many things. I, I think people get enamored kind of with those data parameters, and that's great, but you can also simulate courses on it. Um, 
you can do something when we talked about game assessments um, in the winter time, I will use something called TrackMan Combine to do my game assessment. And it's basically going to have us hit 60 shots um, and we're going to be scored on our distance and our accuracy. So if I had a 60 yard shot, how close did I get to carrying it 60 yards? And then how far offline was I right or left? Um, it's very accurate when it comes to handicap, typically. Um, not always, but typically it's pretty darn accurate. And it's just a really good kind of test to see where we're at. Um, kind of like a thermometer. That's awesome. I, uh, I hadn't heard about the, uh, the combine aspect of it. Um, so I know that you, I think you just recently completed your TrackMan um, certification course. So what's, what's changed, you know, in the last however year or so since you've moved down here and been able to start teaching with the TrackMan, what's, what have you been able to do more of, or how's it impacted the lessons that you give? Yeah, the impact is, is, is great in, in a lot of ways. And it helps me see things that I can't see on video even. Um, video is great, but it's 2D. Um, TrackMan is going to kind of look at everything in 3D. So a lot of times I might even see something in a player's golf swing, for example, and they'll come to me too with, um, with feels. So, hey, Matt, I'm really struggling pulling the ball. I'm pulling it all the time. They get on TrackMan C. Look at that. I pulled it. And then their club path is actually moving out to the right, but their face is closed by, you know, eight, nine degrees. That's something that may have take may have taken me time. I would have got to it at some point um, and figured out that was the reason. However, it's way quicker with TrackMan to just get there, get someone where they need to go. Um, so it's made me more efficient is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. I think you just described my lesson with you actually, <laughs> but it may be a but, little bit. Yeah. But from a, from a player's perspective, like, cause I think, I, I think I literally had that scenario, um, with you and it, you can't wrap your mind around the fact that you are getting your club on the right plane and the ball is going in the wrong direction until you see like objectively on the little screen that pops up, like, no, I was outside in. It's just my face was however closed. And um, it was, it's been very helpful for me to see it and then be able to go on the golf course, miss a shot in one direction or the other and not feel like oh, I've got to, you know, before that I always felt like it was always swing path, swing path, swing path. And to just be able to go stand on the tee box for the next, the next one after you just yanked one OB before and not feel like oh, I've got to change everything. It's just like, I, you know, the face got a little closed or whatever the case may be. And, and, uh, it's been, it's been helpful just to see that. Absolutely. I think what, you know, for a long time, it's been hard for people to understand, draw, fade, fade is open club face, draws closed club face. And the reality is, is I think it's, it really puts people at ease. Golf to me is patterns. So what is your pattern? What can your body do? What can't your body do? We need to get to those patterns. Um, and typically people are going to come with what their patterns are. Um, we just need to make them a little bit more efficient if we can. Um, and then also basically tell people, Hey, it's okay to do this. We just need to tone down this aspect. Um, for example, a close friend of mine, we did a lesson and he tends to hook the golf ball and he worked very hard on actually trying to hit a fade or a straight ball with zero success, got in a world of problems. And Hey, you don't need to have that club face super close to hit that draw. In fact, it's making you hook it. You're swinging out on a path, say six degrees out to the right your club face can actually be open three degrees and that ball is still going to draw back to target because it's closed to your path. And once that starts to click into people, I can hit a draw with an open club face. Yeah. All of a sudden they start to hit better shots. Um, so that's where TrackMan is really, I think, valuable um, where video can be tough to describe it to someone when someone can see a number 
and then try and change something to hit a different number, all of a sudden those feels start to become more real for them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think it, it ties perfect into where we're going to go next, because I, I do think that TrackMan, you know, is, is directly, there's a variety of things, but it is one of the big factors in terms of optimizing launch conditions that is, uh, helping with distance to just explode, um, around, around the world. So let's dive into distance. For some reason, this is, this is a controversial topic around golf. I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but, um, uh, I think I've had three or four uh, golf pros on the podcast now, and uh, I've asked the same question to every single one. <laughs> I think we've talked about distance on every every episode. Um, so I think I'm maybe a little biased too because distance does tie directly into into what what we do and what I do with um, working with people on the physical side. But what, from your perspective, why is distance so important in golf? You know. I think for a long time, and I'm sure other pros have talked about this, you know, it was almost uh, looked at as a bad thing to some degree. Like I couldn't hit it straight if I hit it far. Um, But data, um, you know, things like shot strokes gained and Arcos are really kind of highlighting um, the fact that you really need to, well, you don't need to, but it helps to hit it farther. Um, the stats are there. Um, there's a reason why all those guys on the tour are trying to increase their distance um, because stats are showing them if they get a shorter club in their hands, they're more likely to hit it closer. And we all know proximity at the end of the day is going to win where if I can hit it closer, now I can start to make some putts. Um, it always starts to me from the hole back So when I see that a PGA tour player is 50% from eight feet putting, okay, how do I hit it closer? (laughs) Um, Because if I'm going to score, I need to figure out how to hit it closer. Um, And as we track backwards, you can start to see how those drop-offs in proximity come when I have a maybe six iron in my hand versus an eight iron. Um, Those are big, those are big, big differences right there. Yeah. It was, it was eye opening to me. We, uh, you've actually maybe seen him hit balls cause he practices at the practice station sometimes, but we work with a, a professional pitcher, um, and he can hammer a golf ball. He's a very, very good player. Um, he had, uh, his swing speed up to 155 the other day and we played a scramble and yeah, we played a scramble with him and, you know, we had, so however many guys he'd always hit last we'd all we try to get at least one in play and then he would just let it eat and i think we were like 25 under because it but we were playing from we probably didn't have an approach shot on a par four that was more than 50 yards out um you know wow. i mean he drove several he drove two par fours and i'm like this is, I'm hitting a 60 degree wedge into this green when I'd normally be hitting a nine iron and, and I hit it, you know, probably above average for a amateur, uh, you know, I'm an eight handicap and I hit it 260, 280, but he's hitting it 300 to 330. And it's that extra, <laughs> that extra distance is dramatic. And I just finished that round and I was like, golf would be so much easier if I could hit it <laughs> where we hit it. And yeah, he, he lost a couple, but there was one that, you know, he lost it 30, 40 yards, right. Except he still drove the green. So we were 30, 40 yards off the green coming, coming in. So it was like, all right, yeah, you, you lost that one. So what we're still that close to the hole. Yep. Absolutely. You know, there's a spot, you know, I think it's very interesting when you start to look at what Bryson's doing and then kind of Dustin Johnson's approach to it. Neither are wrong. Um, Dustin Johnson hits it plenty far. Um, so he can kind of more work towards, hey, I'm, I'm content with my fade. I, but he's carrying it 290 right in the fairway. Yeah, okay, he's good. You know, he's going to be mm-hmm. just fine. But, you know, for some of those players, even on tour, that are, you know, maybe at this point averaging, say, 270 carry, you know, they really are going to have to 
up it, unfortunately, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's just the way that the game is, is going and it's, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. So they change the rules. It's not going to, uh, it's going to be yeah, right. Right. So, so you mentioned that for a while it was, it was viewed as a bad thing. Um, and this is something that I hear quite a bit um, almost every time we play and talk about it with, with another amateur player. So how do you handle some of the common arguments against distance? Like, it's going to mess up my tempo or I'm going to spray it more. I'm going to miss by bigger margins. Um, how do you kind of deal with, with that when you're working with a player? Yeah. So I think and you mentioned it. I think that's where Trackman is very helpful because the first thing we can look at for distance gains is efficiency um, versus necessarily just raw club head speed. Um to get someone to open up to the concept of distance. Um, so, and by those types of um, parameters, it's just, you know, it comes down to, okay, strike. So I'm sure everybody's heard of something called smash factor. Um, club speed is what I put into it. Ball speed is what I get out of it. Ball speed is the most important thing. Although typically all things being equal, obviously if I swing faster, I'm going to get more ball speed, but if someone isn't striking the face quite right, there's distance to be gained just by changing strike. Um, there's distance gain to be, um, there's distance gains from how I might attack the golf ball or dynamic loft that I'm putting on the golf club, um, the driver as I swing into impact. So there's lots and lots of ways to gain distance without just swinging harder. Um, so that's how I would attack that person first. Um, because if you've got anything left in the tank, um, I would challenge them to get more efficient first. And then, hey, now I still will always try and press the envelope. Because if somebody's got something left in the tank, I don't want to leave it there as an instructor. Um, especially if they're, you know, trying to guide a golf ball even, I would start to argue that, okay, you're just going to be in the rough. 20 yards further back then <laughs> yeah exactly you're still gonna you're still gonna miss have the same miss it's just you're gonna be 20 or 30 yards farther ahead yeah absolutely that's something that i talk about with people a little bit too is um this concept of or we talk about it as this concept of speed reserve like you know let's say that you say i give you a driver and i say okay here's not even a ball just just swing this thing as fast as you as you possibly can and it's like 95 miles an hour, hundred miles an hour, whatever it is. Okay. Now we're going to go on the golf course. You actually have to hit this golf ball, hit a golf shot. And let's say you were at 95 and then your ball swing is at 90, you know, so you're, you're almost, there's very little, little space in between that absolute as hard as you can swing it and what you're actually doing on the golf course. I'm like, okay, now imagine that we took that absolute peak speed up to a hundred, 105. Even if you didn't swing it any faster even if you still your ball speed golf or uh swing was was 90 well now you're that that felt like a nice smooth effortless easy swing you're gonna get way more of those in play going forward and i think chances are that that golf you know that that effortless easy swing will start to come up as that peak just absolute raw peak speed comes up absolutely so um, okay. So what, uh, what needs to go into a program, um, to help players develop distance or, or club head speed, um, for someone that wants to improve this? Yeah. So, um, let's start with, um, let's start with speed, I think, um, is a good place to start. So a couple different things I think first is, is just your body is going to move basically kind of how you tell it to move to some degree. So, and your brain is wired to move at a certain speed, basically. So some type of speed training program, um, something just easy, kind of low hanging fruit. Um, and one training aid that I really like is from super speed golf. Um, I call them speed sticks. I don't think they're called that, but, um, I call them too. <laughs> Yeah, but they have a great training product um, to train speed. They got some really good protocols um, on the website. And, you know, that's one thing that is going to train your body to go faster. Um, I bring up a, 
a person way smarter than me. Um, uh, he's been around in golf for a while. His name is Dr. Sasha McKenzie. Um, he's talked about, um, kind of training your brain to swing faster, um, and has some really good concepts around swinging fast, um, kind of instead of what people used to kind of think of as like a low, slow backswing, and then try to give it their all, um, is kind of being overtaken and you see it on the PGA tour with guys like Bryson kind of this fast, fast and creating more of like a rebound to hit the ball faster. Um, those are some low hanging fruit. All of a sudden to see someone speed jump up, you know, five, six miles an hour. Um, but there is a point when in beforehand too, we need to assess how someone is physically, um, you know, and everybody's different. So, there's plenty of people that come with a lot of strength, but are very inflexible. Um, and there's people on the other end of that spectrum too, that have tons of flexibility, but not a lot of strength. So I think, um, you know, the TPI guys have a ton of good stuff, um, making sure someone is physically able to do some of this, um, figuring out where they would benefit too, and making sure that, you know, we're doing right by them. Um, not giving them something they can't do, but if someone's really dedicated to club head speed and increasing it, eventually in my eyes, it's going to come down to their body. Um, at some point they're going to have to change probably something in their physical structure, whether it's getting a little stronger, whether it's getting a little bit more flexible. Um, maybe it's a little bit of both in yeah. some cases as well. So, yeah. I agree. And that's what, that's what we see a lot. We see, you know, it's going to depend on the kind of like what you said on the individual person, but we see, um, the, you know, players that lose flexibility over time and that can, you know, they just can't separate. That's going to rob them of distance. Say that's what most players feel like is their issue. Um, what I find is that, and what I try to tell them and help educate is like on the PGA tour, um, driving distance is directly correlated with, with vertical jump height. Um, you know, cause one of the big, one of the big influences of, of power in the golf club is, you know, we call it like vertical thrust, how, how far, how well you can push down into the ground to generate speed. And, you know, so we kind of joke that we, we train some of our younger, younger players that, you know, physically are able to, and up for it, we, we train them like, almost like basketball players. Like we want to, you know, we, you, you might be doing, we try to leave a lot of the swing stuff to the golf pros. Like, okay, you know, Matt's got you doing the super speak protocol. That's awesome. I'm not going to have you do the same thing. You you're getting that. We can fill in the gap of like, let's get you stronger. Let's improve that T-spine mobility, but let's get you, you know, more powerful, more explosive, just throughout your entire body. I kind of tell them, like, give you a bigger engine, like give you more, just more physical robustness that then I give you that Matt can teach you how to apply that into the actual golf swing. I absolutely love that. That's so true for anyone that's looking for greater distance. Those are all elements of how to hit it farther. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fantastic. So you kind of mentioned it a little bit with the smash factor, um, and kind of uh, launch angles and stuff like that. But from a pro's perspective, like in a lesson with somebody that's really trying to um, hit it farther, do you have any kind of common things that you end up working on little tips to try to improve um, launch angles or, or smash factors, things like that? Yeah. The big, the biggest one is um, attack angle with driver. Um, there's no doubt about that. So um in the golf swing, there's one club that you want to hit up on. So you actually want a positive angle of attack. And, and so guys picture angle of attack as my club is coming into the golf ball. How is it moving into the ball? Is it moving down as it strikes the ball or is it moving up? Um, with a driver, you actually want that club for max efficiency um, to kind of increase that launch angle and decrease spin you want that driver to be moving on an upward angle of attack. So typically we'll see someone that's struggling with distance. Um, say they come in and they're kind of hitting driver, like they'd hit a five wood or potentially a long iron. Maybe they're hitting down two or three on that driver. That's creating, um, that ball is going to then spin 
quite a bit up. Um, so even if you are hitting middle of the face, um, you're getting robbed by a ton of distance by creating more spin on that golf ball. So to change that, it could be a lot, it could be some different things, but, um, a lot of times it's in someone's setup. Um, maybe their ball position isn't quite far enough forward to give them a chance to get hit up on the ball. Um, we talk about tilts. Um, so at address, if they're fairly level or they might have their, say, if they're a right-handed player, their left shoulder pointed down, we're going to actually point that um, their back shoulder, their right shoulder a little more down to the ground. So give them a little bit of a tilt in an upward direction. All things just trying to give them a chance to hit up on the ball. Um, but, you know, there are yards to gain there from – I just had one the other day where we didn't change a thing, fairly good player, but hitting down about two and a half with driver um, to up four and gain 40 yards. Yeah. That's so it, in a flash. Um, and it's a big deal to that person. They're like, Oh my God, I had no idea. Um, so the whole distance thing. Uh, yeah. It, when you're at, there's a barrier to entry for the good players. Why I'm not playing kind of what we talked about in this first part of the podcast. There's a barrier to entry to get on that PGA tour, right? Those guys are, they're eking out every ounce they can get. Um, but you know, if you're out there and Hey, I don't have time to do X, Y, or Z. Well, maybe it's just, maybe it's a couple of those types of ideas to get more distance. Um, you know, Maybe it is, maybe you love getting in the gym, that too. I mean, all of those things are not going to hurt you. They're all just going to help you. Yeah, no, I think uh, uh, that's really good advice. So I know that um, you're going to be doing a workshop on distance, I believe at the practice station um, soon. Um, when, when is it? And then um, what are you kind of going to cover during that workshop and, and where could people go to learn more about it? Yeah, absolutely. So the workshop at the practice station is going to be on December 19th at two o'clock. And to learn the most about it, um, you can visit the practice stations website. I'll also be posting um, some things on uh, my social media as well. But basically what you're going to get if you come to that is um, we're going to do the actual distance workshop. So we're going to kind of give you some ideas Similar to what we talked about today, how do I gain more distance? What are some things I should be looking for? Um, you know, keys to gaining distance that um, that need to be looked at. Then we're going to get into some Q&A. So we're asking folks to come with questions um, and you're going to get your questions answered right then and there. Um, and we're also going to do a live lesson with someone from the audience. So immediately everybody's got a chance to uh to kind of win that and then towards the end of session we'll do about a 20 minute um live lesson where someone can kind of uh you know get on the track man get a little bit of a lesson and kind of everybody around can get a feel for um you know what that would be like and what they'd learn from a from a lesson that's great i uh really encourage people to take advantage of that practice station if you haven't been there as a a uh, really cool spot. I mean, it's definitely one of the better, um, better, not the best place in the area to, uh, to practice and, and work on your game, especially the fact that we live in Wisconsin. And, uh, I think maybe you could play today. I think it's, uh, it's like 50 today, but this might be the last day of the year that we can, uh, we can actually get out and play golf. So, uh, it's a great resource. Um, so I want to, we always finish up with a lightning round, just a couple of fun questions to help uh, people get to know you better. So bigger, biggest golf goal, uh, breaking 80 or getting to a single digit ha handicap. Ooh, for what I hear most. Yeah. Breaking 80. Okay. That's, that's what I hear quite a bit too. I always encourage people. I'm like, you know, that single, that, no. that's one day that single digit handicap that shows consistency over time. Um, I agree. I agree. I hear it most. Um, maybe we'll change that as we, uh, as we get to setting better goals here, yeah. um, we'll get people to kind of shoot, uh, shoot a little higher. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay. What's the, uh, your, your favorite course that you've gotten to play? I gotta say Oakland Hills. Um, just cause I worked there. Although 
I'm going to kind of put them neck and neck with whistling straights as well. I I have played the straights. I've not played, uh, I've not played Oakland Hills, but I've, uh, I know a couple of guys that have played there and um, they said it's, it's just fantastic. Absolutely. Very championship golf course ask um and the greens are like roller coasters that's fun <laughs> you have a uh, what's do you have a, a course that's next on your kind of bucket list that you're going to try to try to play here soon yes i mean i would keep it local i've been to aaron hills i've never played aaron hills so i would say aaron hills would be the uh the, the closest one on my bucket list although kind of an all-timer would be um saint andrews okay uh, those are those are two good ones. I I don't live far from Aaron Hills, so uh, maybe this spring or next summer we'll have to go uh, go go play around out there. That'd be fun. I'd enjoy that. All right, Matt. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, this is a great conversation. I know I learned a lot um, just talking to you, and I'm sure that any other golfer that listens is going to learn a lot. Um, where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, right on. So I, the best spots are probably um you know i post a lot on instagram and twitter at lindberg golf and also my website mattlindberggolf.com um i was kind of putting different programs up on there um people really want to kind of dive deep that's probably the best spot to get a a decent overview of kind of who i am and what i do it's perfect we'll uh we'll get those in the show notes i can definitely say from following you on uh on social media that you've been producing really, really good content here, uh, uh, these last few months with, uh, I've, I've been learning a lot from watching some of your videos and, and things like that. So I'd, uh, encourage everyone to, to go check that out. Um, thanks again, Matt, for the time today. And thank you to everyone that's listening and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee sports performance podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learn something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.